and welcome to the Dark Material Podcast, where we cut through into the many worlds of His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman, sometimes subtly, and sometimes not so much. From Galavespians to Gyrocopters, join us in this spoiler-free read-along journey into the dark. I'm Ian. And I'm Amy. And this week we're talking through Chapter 5 of The Amber Spyglass, The Adamant Tower. Badassrio! Okay, so obviously a little bit of a little bit of a sneak preview in the intro here. In is so excited about this chapter. Best chapter of the book so far. (laughs) As real badassing around. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, but before we get on to Ian's favorite character, let's talk about what happened last week with Mm. characters that Ian cares equally about and storylines that he loves just as much. What even did happen? Well, last Is this time. An Amor, Amor one? Yeah, Amor oh, yeah. and Kulang. Oh. So they travel to a monastery to visit a healer and get some medicine to wake up the enchanted sleeper in Mrs. Coulter's cave. Ian is literally yawning at my summary right now. So rude. Oh, <laughs> having... yeah, they're not manufacturing weapons in a fortress, are they? Shush. Blah, blah, having, blah. having procured a special powder to wake Lyra, Amor excitedly returns to the cave with her next food parcel, only to find it empty. Curious, she steps inside to check Lyra is still there, but gets caught and hides when she hears Mrs. Coulter and the monkey returning. She sees Mrs. Coulter clearly drugging Lyra and forcing her into sleep when Lyra starts to wake after the previous dose is wearing off. She knows what's going on. Terrified at this new info, Amma waits quietly hidden in the dark cave as the golden monkey tortures some bats for entertainment, which is fun. When the golden monkey and Mrs. Coulter are finally asleep and they've done their torturing for the evening, it's safe um, and Amma escapes and runs back to her village. She's determined that she'll sneak back next time Mrs. Coulter and the golden monkey are out, wake up Lyra and rescue her. Hmm. So. Not a lot happens. <laughs> so ridiculous. This chapter's the best, though. <laughs> and uh, do you want to give an intro to the quote for this chapter? Yes. Here? Because I think you also really enjoy this, right? Yes. Well, more than previous, or at least I remembered to make notes on it. Um, <laughs> and also this chapter does just completely move on from Lyra. So yeah. there's not much more to say, really. Mm. The previous chapter happened, and now we're somewhere else. Yeah, So pretty much. No segues. So yeah, it's a snippet of a poem, uh, no, from Paradise Lost, sorry. Yes. Just a, an excerpt from uh, part of Paradise Lost that reads thus. With ambitious aim against the throne and monarchy of God, raised impious war in heaven and battle proud. So yeah, that's cool. I'm going to read the full thing around this though. Ooh. So brace yourself. Yeah. I'll copy and paste So you're going to read all of Paradise Lost right a now. fair whack. Yeah. So this will be <laughs> a 15 hour long episode. At least. The infernal serpent, he it was, whose guile stirred up with envy and revenge, deceived the mother of mankind. What time his pride had cast him out from heaven, with all his host of rebel angels, by whose aid aspiring to set himself in glory above his peers, he trusted to have equaled the Most High. If he opposed, and with ambitious aim against the throne and monarchy of God, raised impious war in heaven, and battle proud, with vain attempt." Mm. So, I don't know, with all the ye olde words and equalid and sturded and <laughs> random apostrophes and stuff, if I got any of the rhythm of that correctly, or even where the pauses and punctuation should be. Ah, uh, who knows. But I think this is all interesting. So, it's about Lucifer 
and the sort of archangel, rebel angel stirring mm-hmm. up this rebellion against God, mm-hmm. which is just generally cool and interesting. And that's the main theme of Paradise Lost. Yeah. It's also the analogy to Azrael, yes. obviously, and made firmly, quite firmly. explicit in yeah. uh, the use of this excerpt in the chapter that's basically about Azrael. And in case, and in case you weren't sure so far, listeners, Ian is of the devil's party. Oh, he is yeah. fully much on Azrael's side. Yep, team 666. <laughs> um, so the bit that I thought was interesting and the reason I wanted to read uh, that wider bit of Paradise Lost mm. is that I just kind of think it's interesting that Pullman removes the bit about in Paradise Lost, Lucifer setting himself up in glory above his peers mm. and also removes the line about uh, him equaling the most high and then finally, that all of this would be in vain attempt. Yeah. So Pullman removes the bits in Paradise Lost where Lucifer is setting himself up as superior to all the other rebels and is trying to make of himself some kind of false king. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the kind of prophetic line at the end, which is that ultimately all of it would be a vain attempt. Yeah. The specific parts that Pullman quotes are really just about Lucifer being a badass. And that's the analogy we're making to Azrael. No vain attempt around here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's ambitious and he's impious. Yes. And he's... Battle proud. Proud, battle proud. Yeah, he's he's ultimately building a republic. And yes. we'll get on to some of that a bit later on in this chapter. It is not a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Unlike the authorities' kingdom, it is not an autocracy. He is yep. trying to build a republic, but somehow still have a tentative hold on leadership. Which is, I think, something which there's a bit of a conflict about at points. Yeah. Um, but I think that's super fucking cool to be like, yeah, this is Republic of War rather than... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also for Pullman to just have redacted the stuff around, ah, it inevitably fails. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, no, no, no in-chapter in spoilers from the quotes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so there you go. I noticed and made notes. Yeah. You know what I didn't good. notice and make notes what? on? What's the drawing? <laughs> oh, the, well, I was about to say, this, the drawing this week is quite a mysterious uh, sort of castle wall or castle entrance oh, hall yeah. with a little door in. I think it's the, meant to be the postern door 100%. or maybe the door to Asriel's tower room. It's not really nah, clear. Nah, postern gate, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's the postern gate. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a super dramatic start to this chapter, which I love. I can only imagine that Ian is so excited mm. about that. How are you feeling about reading this chapter in general? Oh, very excited. Yeah? And also, sorry, another quick thing of yeah. preamble. The Adamant Tower. Yes. Oh, so yeah, as a chapter title. It means obstinate and immovable. If you're adamant about something, you aren't going to let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, but also Adamant. Yes, it did used to refer to... Who was a pop star of the uh, 1980s. <laughs> not what I was thinking. But that is also another very strong link to Azrael. Some people call him Adamant Azrael. <laughs> it's lesser known in the fan fandom, but very true. <laughs> But yeah, adamant, adamant, I'm going to keep saying adamant, <laughs> adamant. Oh, fuck me, uh, did used to refer to actual stones and a specific type of legendary stone, a bit like mm. uh, in the same way that mithril is a kind of legendary metal. Oh, so is adamant um, not really real? I don't know if it's been co-opted as like a real ah. type of stone, but in ye olde times of Greekness, yeah. I think, there was um, a stone type called adamas, um, which was thought to be unbreakable. Mm. I mean in the sort of mythic sense, in the same way that Mithril isn't real. Adamas was this hypothetical type of rock that couldn't be broken. Okay. And that's the derivation of the word adamant. That's cool. Which is cool to then have the adamant tower made out of adamantine rock and adamas and it being unbreakable and etc, etc. That's really cool. Yes. 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes. Good. I didn't think about the chapter title, but it's... Yeah, it's very well, cool. You can trust me to make copious notes on Asriel chapters. Amy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a really intense start to this chapter. We join a figure paused on the edge of a lake of molten sulfur at the bottom of a canyon and with noxious clouds boiling up in front. Uh, so interestingly, this idea of a lake of sulfur and fire is straight out of hell. So again, another point where Asriel is definitely being portrayed as Satan um, mm. which definitely makes sense. So this is kind of an introduction to his Republic of Hell, basically. But possibly even more cool than that, Ian, mm. there are actual lakes of sulfur in our world, literal hell on earth, what? which is cool. What do you mean? Well, you can get your like your your gaseous sulfur, but then at certain times, sulfur can be in liquid forms and mm. therefore can form a lake. That's cool. So you got your normal bog standard sulfur lake like the one at uh, Kawa Ijen Volcano on the island of Java in Indonesia. Sure, we know it well. Which is a light with blue flames. Sick. Which you can't really see during daytime, but at night it looks so cool. Mm -hmm. Or if blue flames aren't your thing, or that's like a little bit gaudy, a bit bit on the nose, you know, you're like, oh, show off. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you also have the Daikoku Sulfur Cauldron, which is already doing great on the name. Um, and this is a particular area where there are loads of volcanoes deep, deep, deep under the sea. But there's also a lake of sulfur, which sits perfectly still and emits gases upwards. So it looks like an underwater lake with steam rising off it. But uh, it's that's cool. 323 meters below the surface of the mm. sea. What does liquid sulfur look like? Uh, Water? Or it like sort yellow? Of, yeah, I think the actual lake one from memory just kind of looks like water. Hmm. Like bluish, which is weird, but I don't know. Anyway, but then the underwater one, because there's barely any light, it just looks like a black lake cool. under the sea. Very cool. So cool. Nice. So. Also, just quickly. Yes. Uh, strange word that I don't know if you'll have looked up. This lake of molten sulfur in Azrael's world. Yeah. Is, quote, releasing its mephitic vapors. Oh, no, I didn't look up mephitic. What the fuck is mephitic? I didn't look it up. Did to you? Google. So back from Google, uh, yep. it just means bad smelling. Yeah. Slightly less... Um... Which sort of makes sense if it's sulfur, yeah. really, I guess. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Can angels smell? <laughs> Deep let's, question. Let's yeah. hope not. Let's hope not. Because this figure, we find out later, is Baruch. And he's pausing because he has a choice. He can either pass on foot around this lake and risk taking too long, or try to fly over it and risk being seen by those who are following him. Yeah. Because he is being tracked by enemy scouts. So... Other angels, which is bad. Hopefully not Metatron. Mm. Um, he decides to risk flying, so he must be kind of desperate for time or just really a bit desperate here. He darts into a cloud of silver gas, but is seen. So immediately he's flying blind through this cloud and four other angels are on his tail, but also blind. This is super tense. One of them comes out of the cloud just before him and attacks him, then another. So he's fighting two other angels and the other two don't reappear. Oh, it's they sort of implied that they die, right? Yes. But 100%. how do they die? Can angels die? These mm. are all questions. Then there's a cut in the chapter, and we get this great description of Lord Azrael's basalt fortress. Let's just pause briefly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're like one page in. Yeah. More's happened than in the rest of the book. <laughs> Azrael's the best. So rude. Please continue. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we got this great description of Bas- uh, Lord Asriel's basalt fortress growing up out of the mountain as if it had been forced up by a volcano, quote, millions of years before. And there are vast caverns behind the walls where the fodder of war is being gathered. Loads of provisions, of course, but also, quote, engines of war being built and tested and ruddied. And also great forges in which, quote, phosphor and titanium were being melted and combined in alloys never known or used ah, before. Ah, so good. So good. Gnarf. Why titanium and phosphor? Because it's I don't fucking know. dope, Amy. It's well, dope shit. I was thinking about that. There aren't, by the way, any current known alloys of titanium and phosphor because I was like, why? Mm-hmm. Why would that be? But if you think about it, titanium is like super strong and sharp and phosphor glows green. Oh, so so it's just like cool. glowy, sharp shit. It'd be the most super cool it's, set of weapons. It's such a like teenager thing to do. It's so good. Who did they put in charge of this phone? <laughs> what should we use? What should we make alloys out of? Like glowy, glowy, sharp stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I like in reading this personally, I can see Pullman just going and embrace the 14 year old boy. Yeah, pretty so much. So we're going to have, we're going to have like carbon fiber vehicles and we're going to have the <laughs> titanium swords and we're going to have the dragon fire base. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also quite like, um, War aside, imagine how much accidentally useful stuff they might discover for peace times and general development here. If they were just like, like the randomly forging stuff. Teflon of hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, probably use more than two ingredients. Don't limit yourself, guys. But whatever. So the narrator's attention focuses on a sentry in a teeny tiny little postern door, uh, which is a kind of smaller secondary door to the main door, uh, sometimes concealed. Which I guess this one is. So it's more like mm. a sally port or something. He's tired, this sentry, he's cold, it's nearly the end of his shift, but he and his demon, uh, he's from Lyra's world, it seems, uh, or from a demony world, are focused on the job at hand. So he's surprised but quick to react when there's a knock at the door, and he sees three figures carrying a fourth who seems wounded. Mm. One of them he recognises and gives the correct password, so he lets them in and then relays the message he gets up via a telephone bell. They have found an angel called Baruch by the Sulphur Lake. He's wounded, but he has an urgent message for Lord Asriel. And it seems the Watcher or the Guard is really shaken up to see an angel, even a lesser one like Baruch, wounded in this way. Mm. So this is clearly not a common occurrence and... To see an angel damaged and, and hurt in this way is is really quite shocking to him. Mm. So Baruch is making the right impression in terms of assuring an urgent meeting with Lord Asriel, which is good for their general mission. Then we switch again to a different perspective. Can I interrupt briefly? The sentry, very importantly, has a terrier demon. Oh, sorry. How dare I not mention that they have a terrier demon? Are you picturing that this is you now? 100%. This is you and your little person door. I also made a little note because I was obviously paying attention at this stage. Yeah. There's a really cool little tiny, tiny detail of technology. Okay. Where there's a naphtha lamp that illuminates the door. Mm -hmm. And when the sentry can see these people coming from the outside, he opens a little tap to let more gas through so the light burns brighter. Like turning a dimmer switch. So I think that's cool little detail. It's a person with a with a terrier demon who has his own dimmer switch. It is one hundred percent you. Mm-hmm. You fucking love Except a dimmer I switch. Except I would never turn up the no, light. No, you'd never turn it up. No, you'd always no, turn it down. Always minimum. Always minimum ambient light at mm-hmm. all times. Um, so uh, we then switch to a different perspective. Uh, there's a, a serving man called Batak, and he's preparing seven hundred and thirty-five meals for a legion of soldiers from Lyra's world. He's working with ingredients what? he's not used to in this world. And uh, basically the whole rest of the chapter is about how he tries different <laughs> ingredients presented to him to find the perfect balance of sustenance and homely tastiness. For fuck's sake. Is that what the rest of the chapter's about, Ian? Yeah. I genuinely had a double take then. <laughs> what are you talking about? Have we read different books? 
How great would that be though? If you're just like, let's just, let's just have a bit of like the general people working as part of this war. <laughs> no, no, not interested. Right. Okay, we'll go back to the actual story, oh we, which we is have very different ideas. Lord interesting. <laughs> Um, he's in the highest room in the tallest tower because he's a motherfucking princess. So good. It's actually a pretty humble room, though. He's super humble. Uh, not lavishly de- decorated and has a kind of hastily put together or practical air. So there's a camp bed, tables, chairs, a map chest. So. Yeah. I have some negative view of Azrael here. Is it that you don't like his in- interior I don't like decor the, the choice. sort of Puritan, almost Soviet-esque. Yeah angle on this which is he's utilitarian very utilitarian yeah and it did strike me a little bit of uh is this kind of communism like why is he living this bare militaristic life Mm -hmm. i know he's in a fort i know it's a military campaign blah 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 but if he's got time to smelt sulfur and titanium together it also just didn't strike me very much like asriel you know the svalbard research lab Mm mm-hmm he bothered to make sure it was nicely furnished and had good windows yeah, and shit. Yeah, but that was when he was there for the long haul. He's, oh, but sure. yeah, he's got... This is long haul. Yeah, I guess it sort of is a bit of a change to what his previous setup was yeah. like. Yeah, it feels like Pullman's made him more, well, like I say, kind of communist, utilitarian. I'll just drink water and eat bread. Maybe it's a branding thing. Maybe with your... <laughs> No, yeah. hear me out right. With Yoffa Rackneson, mm. you want something that's the trappings of, like... Power society and Society and, and power and, yeah. yeah, all of that stuff that Yoffa Rackneson mm. would recognise. But when you're wanting to wage war and you want to be respected as a leader of a republic, you probably can't have all the guilt shit in your bedroom and, like, wood panelling and, and stuff. Yeah. So, he's just king of branding, Ian. Well, fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I want all the wood You're panelling. unimpressed. You're unimpressed with five this explanation. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to have to mull on that a bit more, actually. Mm. It does feel a bit different. He's still giving himself the best room in the whole place, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then deck it out. Come on, dude. It nah. just feels very Spartan. And I don't really, don't really get why it has to be. Other than, oh, he's really serious about his mission. He's well, not yeah. here for creature comforts. <laughs> yeah, but, that. But, you know, come on. But that. He's got important Just people that. to entertain and schmooze and wooze and you no, know, alliances doesn't. to forge. And you can't do that over a camp bed. What are you doing? Maybe he's already done all of that. Maybe. I don't know. Eh. So he's sitting at a table with his spy captain, Lord Roke. Mm-hmm. And a small blue hawk is perched nearby. Yeah, that won't, cool. that won't feature. Which I really like. This fantastical element reminds us that he's a commander of forces from many different universes. And mm. another reminder is Lord Roke himself. He is the height of Lord Asriel's hand span and, quote, slender as a dragonfly. I don't know what that means. But uh, average male hand span, just going to say Lord, Lord Asriel's super average, is um, 8.5 inches or 22 centimetres tall. Lord so, Asriel's hand span would obviously be 23 and a half centimetres no, then. No. Not massively bigger than average, but slightly. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Asriel. <laughs> Smaller than average. Uh, <laughs> but these dimensions don't count against him when it comes to respect with other army commanders, he has a poisonous sting in the spurs of his heels. Cool. Mm, very cool. So this is an interesting new character. New being, new race, exactly. new species of thing. And I would say it's about fucking time. Yeah. Because we got introduced to the humans and the demons. Yeah. We knew that. We then found the bears and mm-hmm. we're like, okay, they're cool. And then witches. Yeah. And then so and spectres, I guess. Yeah, but they're, but they're, they're crap ones, shit, we don't like them. Mm. Um, so now we've at last got another... Clan to add to the roster. New being. The Galavespians, which we'll come on to shortly. 
So this is a perfect time to point out that on our Patreon, we basically have different tiers where you can contribute as either a piece of dark matter or a Panzerbjorn, if you prefer to be an armored bear, and as our second tier, I think, a Galavespian. So finally, we can actually introduce that and talk about it. Galavespians are a super dope part of the whole trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and we finally got them in this book. So yes. yeah, if you want to check out our Patreon, we do all sorts of stuff like bonus content and Q&As and artwork at certain tiers. Amy draws nice things. I don't. <laughs> yeah, pull your finger <laughs> lack of, out. Lack you, of draw talent. you draw things sometimes. Oh, you should have seen. What was the, uh, the will cutting through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great drawing. Mm-hmm. Did we publish that? Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can check out awesome artwork from me and occasionally okay artwork from Amy. <laughs> and yeah, Galavespin is a tier. So now that they're finally introduced... So I'd point people to Patreon if you want to support us uh, at whatever tier, but Galavespian is one of them. Yeah, and also hello and thank you to all our current Galavespians. Oh, also, Galavespian couldn't find much on the word. Uh, Vespa is Italian for wasp, and uh, you can get types of wasp called gall wasps who basically, usually parasitically then like lay their larvae inside oak acorns and then create what's called a gall. Right, okay. Uh, So... Yeah, mm-hmm. anyway. So Galavespian seems to be like some gall waspy type thing. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, okay, so the Galavespians in this universe, in Azrael's world, as you say, they kind of are the spies, mm. I guess. So Lord Roke is the kind of captain, or one of Azrael's captains, but specifically on intelligence and spying. So it seems to be the only reason that they perform the role of spies is because they're tiny. Yeah. In all other respects, they're a fucking terrible candidate for a spy <laughs> because they are proud and touchy, I guess quite prickly and quick haughty. to anger, haughty, yeah. and they've got these poisonous spurs sticking out of their heels. So, yeah, I don't know. They're terrible. not exactly inconspicuous no. either in terms of personality or looks, but they're small. They're so, so stupid. Spies. Like, there are infinite universes. Presumably yep. the Galavespians are from their own little world of Galavespians, but surely there's... A different universe that's better suited towards the, the spy s- beings. The sneaky universe. <laughs> yeah, like smaller than Galavespians mm. and, you know, great memories, yep. very humble. Yeah, true. Yeah, all, all of these things. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, but in this read-through, I've made a Shapeshifters, little... sorry. <laughs> oh, come on. They're not just infinitely powerful. Oh, my God. Like the gods beings. Well, why not? Um, why couldn't you have shapeshifters? I suppose demons change shapes yeah. all the time. Yeah, fair point. Touché. Uh, yeah, in this read-through, though, it's the first time I've kind of thought about this, that I really like this as a, I don't know, thing that Pullman injects, yeah. which is the spy characters on the side of good, because, you know, in all sides of war, whichever side you deem to be righteous, yeah. spying is obviously extremely useful and yeah. critical, and yet spies are almost always cast in the light of sneaky, backstabbing, kind of sly and yes, evil yeah. you know the classic black cloak uh, and basically cowardly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i quite like that in Azriel's army even the spies are kind of admirable and awesome yeah but they can still do their spying because they're just tiny and also like yeah that's was, was really funny but also uh the egyptians had a whole spy division led by benjamin de reuters yes i suppose so, that, so yeah. that's it just seems to be a consistent thing that philip Pullman's like you need the person who's in charge of supplies and the person who's in charge yes, of the fighting yes. i need a person in charge of spying yeah because knowledge is power and it's important exactly yeah. it's good and these spies are good not simply suited to spying yeah. because they're somehow flawed and clandestine and yeah sneaky um <laughs> 
So as the chapter is kind of cut to uh, Asriel and Lord Roke having a conversation or a kind of briefing, mm-hmm. where Lord Roke is saying, Yes, your child, my Lord Asriel, I know about her. Evidently, I know more than you do. Great Galavespia voice. That's so good. Is that good? Yeah, it's like a little wasp lord. Oh, thank you. Oh, that is... Oh, my God, it's gone. Uh, and it's gone. <laughs> and it's gone. To which Asriel basically is naturally badass in response. So I shall read uh, a section that describes Azrael's badassery in some of its glory. Lord Azrael looked at him directly, and the little man knew at once that he had taken advantage of his commander's courtesy. The force of Lord Azrael's glance flicked him like a finger, so that he lost his balance, and had to put out a hand to steady himself on Lord Azrael's wine glass. A moment later, Lord Azrael's expression was bland and virtuous, just as his daughter's could be. And from then on, Lord Roke was more careful. I love that he does the innocent face. So good. And so much control and so much poise and power over people and Azrael's the best and fuck everything else. I mean, no. But I do, I do, I do love that he has his innocent face that he turns on when he's like, I mean, what? Sorry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, definitely. I wasn't offended. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but Lord Roke knows that he's stepped a line, stepped over a line there. And also great and in keeping with the character that we've just heard the Galavesians have to be kind of yes. haughty and proud. Yeah, yeah, and- yeah. Not exactly submissive. Yeah. Um, so a nice little encapsulation of that kind of relationship. Yeah. So Azriel is basically trying to find out why the church is so focused on Lyra. And Lord Roke explains that the Magisterium is alive with speculation and sort of differing accounts of what's happening in the world mm. and their levels of interest in Lyra. Bear in mind, the, the Magisterium is kind of split up into factions. Mm-hmm. So one, it's huge and sprawling, but then there's all these different churches and sects and belief substructures within it. It's not one coherent mass. So yeah. different parts of the Magisterium care about Lyra to a greater and lesser extent. And also they're all trying to keep what they know secret from each other. Yes, which there's all not a lot sounds of mutual trust. Yeah. Super inefficient. Yes. Like, guys, get it together. Yeah. If you're going to be good villains in the story, be yeah. fucking good at it. Yeah. Pull in one direction, team. <laughs> uh, but in Lord Rake's account, there are basically two active branches, or the two most active out of everything, are the Consistorial Court of Discipline and the Society of the Work of the Holy Spirit. Great names. Um, very great names. So I had a quick look into the Society of the Work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And couldn't really find anything. Uh, there isn't a direct analogy. No. It's like Pullman's plucked this out of the real world. But it does sound exactly like the kind of bullshit religious order yeah. name that is believable. Yeah. I did find, though, the Congregation of the Holy Spirit. Oh, right. Which was formed in the late 1600s as a kind of training center for poor people to become priests. And eventually it kind of morphed into a largely like missionary sect or church or order mm-hmm. within the wider church, sending priests out to the French colonies. Mm-hmm. And that was all. I just wanted to inject a little bit of historical yeah. interest there. Fair enough. So the Congregation of the Holy Spirit. Late 1600s, though, giving poor people a route to priesthood. Kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Not charity necessarily, but early form of patronage from the church. Kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And I came up with my own. Go on. Because I was like, I bet Pullman just made that. Yeah. The, the Society of the Work of the Holy yeah. Spirit. He made that up. I was just thinking you could definitely have one of those auto-generator websites where it's like <laughs> auto-generate a religious yes, faction. definitely. Auto-generate Magisterium branch. It's the one I came up with. The Brotherhood of Reverend Light. Oh, that's good. Quite good, right? That's good. I would have the Court of the Blessed... Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Virgin. No. No. Uh, the Court of the Blessed Mother's 
Sepulchre. No. Chalice. No. <laughs> we'll edit this massive pause out. <laughs> the, the Court of the Blessed Mother's Virtue or some shit. And the then Court it's... of the Blessed Mother's Virtue. What a bullshit thing that is. <laughs> it's total bullshit. But they just go around and judge people for their Not being relationship choices. Nice. And they're just super... Shit. The Brotherhood of Revelant Light obviously just enjoy having dimmers, dimmer switches turned down low. That's, <laughs> that's no, their raison d'etre. My, my guys definitely put people in menstruation huts. <laughs> that's, that's their thing. Yes. Rude. Anyway, so Lord Roke's spy in the Consistorial Court of Discipline mm-hmm. won the Lady Salmachia. I like these titles that they've got. I thought she was at the the work of the whole Society of the Work of the Holy Spirit. You're correct. How dare you. So, there you go. I was just <laughs> keeping you on your toes, Amy. Um, you're, you're quite right. She is at the Society of the Light and the Eternal Flame of Brotherly Sisterhood <laughs> order. So, the Lady Salmachia has convinced a priest that she is wisdom embodied. So, he's in this recounting of the story from Lord Rector Azrael. There's a priest that's been pl- praying for wisdom, and at exactly the right moment, she stepped out and said, Hey, <laughs> I'm wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, um, and he's like, there's, "Cool." There's some weird thing how it's like she appeared to his demon first or something when he was sleeping. Maybe. So she sort of like she incepted the idea, basically. Oh, uh, I see. She, mm. she she inceptioned him. Yeah, and now she's just like chilling out in his bookcase and occasionally walks be, out and is like, yeah. "So tell me, tell me, child, of your things today." And yes. Yeah. Exactly. So she's got a direct line of insight into mm-hmm. what the Church of the Holy Sepulchre of Magic. Is doing. Um, I'm not going to scroll <laughs> up and actually see what it is again. And then the other spy, one yeah. Chevalier Tialis, oh, which so is super good. cool because Chevalier is a form of knight. Yeah, I think it might even literally From mean knight. Cheval horse. Ah. Which do you and picture? And meaning man upon. <laughs> which do you picture a Galavespian sized horse or a Galavespian on a normal sized horse? <laughs> because to be a Chevalier. He's got to ride a fucking horse here. Nice. So is he riding a teeny tiny horse? I'm now just imagining... Or a normal-sized horse. Baby Pegasus from Disney Hercules. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Yep. Flying around. Flying around. With a little... Little flappy wing. Chevalier Tialis on yep. it. Yep. Oh my God, that's got to cool. be it. So yeah, the Chevalier Tialis is housed in the Consistorial Court of Discipline. Hmm. And is spying in a less roundabout way where he's not necessarily pretending to be wisdom, <laughs> but yeah, is gathering information. So the Society of <laughs> thinks Lyra is the most important child who has ever lived yeah. uh, and believe that she has a choice to make that will affect the fate of everything. Oh, wow. Well, okay. I mean, they're strangely on the money. They're pretty on it. They, yeah. they, they know. know their shit. Mm-hmm. But they seem to be less, I don't know, hasty to act on this information. Yeah. But they're pretty, yeah, they're pretty correct they're pretty if we believe the witches and yada yada. And angels and everyone else. And everyone Basically, else. everyone seems to know All about Lyra's point to Lyra's <laughs> Lyra Yeah. The Consistorial Court of Discipline, on the other hand, is still holding an inquiry with the people at Bolvanger to understand mm. more about what happened, what they learned, and all that kind of stuff. Interesting. So they are a bit more fervent and perhaps quick to act once they have information. They're maybe more willing to just go out and be violent and fire and brimstoney. Yeah. But they aren't there yet. Whereas this other team know exactly what's going on, but are just fucking about. Right. That's the state of things. I love that we get like, the little individual character. Mm. Lord Rogue knows quite a lot of stuff about the inner workings of his place. And this is all presumably outside of a world that he's used to as well. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So it's cool. And why aren't they reporting on the... Re- oh, I guess they're looking after where Lyra is. Anyway. Cool. Thanks for that amusing. <laughs> <Amy's> <laughs> I was mean, thinking, why are they focusing on the Magisterium from Lyra's world? Ah, because it's the only because one that matters. She's, yeah. You also just can't cover a million yeah. different worlds simultaneously. So it's like... I mean, uh, come on. Got to rationalise it. Rationalise. Mm-hmm. So Tialis is keeping Lord Roke up to date via the lodestone resonator oh my god all the things we've been mentioning for years are finally oh, yeah. coming back to roost yeah you can hit us up on your lodestone resonators at facebook yada 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 outro <laughs> uh we've been talking about lodestone resonator for what two years and yeah. couldn't actually explain what the fuck it is no and we still can't and we still can't but, but it now exists as a thing that's it named does it does exist and we can give you some etymology to like set your minds rolling <laughs> so there is such a thing as a lodestone which is a naturally occurring magnet Basically, mm. so it's a piece of um, magnetite which has been naturally magnetized. Only a small proportion of magnetite, as it occurs naturally, ha- is actually a lodestone is actually magnetized. Hmm. I don't think anyone really knows how that happens, actually, which is cool. Yeah, that is cool. But the name comes from the Middle English for coarse stone or leading stone because they were used to create very early compasses. So they've been known about for. Mm thousands of years like about eight thousand years um we've known about lodestone so if you think about lodestone resonator if you think about like magnet resonator mm. magnetic resonation magnetic resonator you might think about <laughs> mag <laughs> mag resonance <laughs> mris or magnetic resonance imagery uh so maybe the lodestone resonator is a way to send pictures or images that's what i'm going to leave you with but well that speculation, that like, entomology re- speculation. I can't remember what... Asleep, um, dreaming, dreaming, asleep. <laughs> magnetic resonance. Yeah. Resonance, magnetic. What's the sketch where it's like, oh, I might be a Mitchell and Webb, where they're kind of like, so if you take this phone and then you take out the battery, you'll see the battery has Taiwan. <laughs> Taiwan is spelled with six letters, six yes. being the devil's number. I know and sometimes there mean. are three of them, three sixes. Oh, clearly <laughs> this phone is evil. Uh, 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 yeah, it's that. So we have... Galavespians. Yeah. We have lodestone resonators. Yeah. The chapter's going well. Yeah. Lord Roke then summarizes his uh, intelligence report to Azrael mm-hmm. by basically saying, In short, I would say that the Society of the Work of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> just <read> BBC, <laughs> the Society of the Work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, in short, I would say that the Society of the Work of the Holy Spirit will find out very soon where the child is, but they will do nothing about it. It will take the consistorial court a little longer. But when they do, they will act decisively and at once. So there you go. Yeah. Some people are fucking about, even though they know everything. Other people don't know much and are happy to not fuck about when they figure it out. <laughs> Good summary. <laughs> just just as Basically Lord Rogue. <laughs> uh, at this point then, Azriel dismisses the captain and the captain jumps onto the blue hawk and flies out of the window. So, I mean, Galvespians are super cool. Yeah, they are super They're cool. They're small. They've got poisonous spurs. They yeah. have ladies and knights, which is cool. Yeah, they all they all have very grandiose titles, which yes. kind of fits with their slightly haughty nature. Absolutely, it's a hundred percent how they've all every, just like you may call me Lord So and So. Everyone's got an honorific, <laughs> yeah. for sure. And they ride around on hawks. I didn't really pay too much attention to the description. Mm. Dark eyes. I think there's something about like. Lord Roke's eyes being like pools of ink. Yes. So I see them as almost Black. not having yeah. whites of the eyes. Yes, exactly. So that they're sort of slightly otherworldly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Skin colour? 
No, I, I picture them as blue or green, but I, I think well. that's just because of the hawk and some other things. And the dragonfly, we... they're as slender as a dragonfly. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Picture um, dragonfly kind of colours. Like insectiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. not like gross and crap because they're And also nice. they're named after wasps, Scalavespians, yes. so you think about mm-hmm. waspy colours, which are obviously blue and green, so it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> classic blue-green wasps. <laughs> Oh, how cool is this as well? Just to like, be able to jump on a little hawk and just fly off. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. I'm also assuming this hawk is like super intelligent. Yeah. Um, it's got to be. Yeah. So after Lord Rick has finished, uh, Lord Asriel stands and strokes Stalmaria's ears a while, which would just be so soft and nice. Um, thinking and looking out the window, they talk aloud about Lyra. He's clearly worrying about her and preoccupied about her, but not necessarily in a kind of, I hope she's okay and not in danger way. He and Stalmaria just kind of think aloud about some other things. I'm just going to read what they are talking about here. So Lord Asriel says to Stalmaria, she came to me on Svalbard and I ignored her, he said. You remember the shock. I needed a sacrifice, and the first child to arrive was my own daughter. But when I realised that there was another child with her, so she was safe, I relaxed. Was that a fatal mistake? I didn't consider her after that, not for a moment, but she is important, Stalmaria. Let's think clearly, his demon replied. What can she do? Do? Not much. Does she know something? She can read the Lithiometer. She has access to knowledge. That's nothing special. So have others. And where in hell's name can she be? In in my mm. own republic's name, where could she be? <laughs> uh, so first of all, he should be way more impressed by her reading the the Alethiometer. I don't understand how he's just like, oh, she can read it or whatever. Like loads of other people know stuff. Why is she that important? Yes, I suppose that's true. It's a bit. He's a bit too really really far zoomed out i think his perspective is way too far out to be impressed he's like the toughest tough parent he's just <laughs> Such like unrealistic you, can, expectations. you can read a lithiometer Pff, whatever <laughs> i've <can read> three <laughs> yeah <laughs> that other um, kid can read for 10 lithiometers at once there's yeah. absolutely no way she's ever mm-hmm. gonna impress him but there is here a seed of doubt of care that he wants her safe and alive. He worries about a potentially fatal error in assuming that she would be safe after he left her in Svalbard. I mean, again, a bit of a leap given exactly where he left her and Mm. who he knows is after him. I suppose he doesn't know that she followed him through to Chittagatse. Yeah. And speaking of, it'd be very interesting to know how he avoided being spectred and getting from there to here, but I don't think we'll ever know that fantastic Amazing, interesting story. Side so, book, side book, Pullman. Side book, please. Yes. The uh, I, I read all of this as quite, you know, not to just endlessly uh, fawn on Avril, on Azrael, mm. but as very neglectful. Yeah. Because in this instant, it's a classic example where he's like, "Well, what is her utility? Yes. Why do people give a shit about her? Yeah. Is she actually powerful or important? Nothing to do with fatherly concern for the well-being of his daughter, but just as I read it anyway." Like, what is all this fucking fuss about? Okay, she can read the lithiometer. Big whoop. Yeah, it is, It is. I guess, upsetting to read that kind of distance mm-hmm. from him. But then also, he's not really interested in what he cares about her. I think he does care about her and he does care about her safety. Mm-hmm. He has a weird way of expressing that sometimes. But he definitely does. In mm. the same way that Mrs. Coulter loves her, he definitely loves her. But I think he's more like, but why does everyone else care? Yeah. Why is the Magisterium going out of their way to find her? Why mm-hmm. do they give a shit? Yep. 
And have, yeah. complete contradictory point to my Asriel scepticism there. Because, you know, I'll put that out there, but it's really just a... I'm paying lip service to all the people that don't think Asriel is fantastic. Because in my <laughs> very next point, yes. in my notes, I've written, I love this. <laughs> yes, she, she is his daughter, but he's caught up in a war for all conscious life. So, like, it's kind of, thank goodness he's more focused on her, like, objective universal importance rather than just her relationship and her meaning to him. Yeah, he could easily be, well, to be harsh, he could easily be a will about it and be like, fuck everything, I'm going to go find Lyra. Exactly. And... Fuck the fate of billions of beings yes. forever. And that might be fine, but no. it might not be. I think there are times where what seems like the immoral thing to do is actually the better thing to do. Yeah. And this, for me, is one of those examples where Azriel's greater good type dubious morality mm -hmm. is like... Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm glad he's seeing this as what is her cosmic importance rather yeah. than just do I care about her as a daughter? Yeah. Um, and people make microcosms of those decisions all the time. It's mm -hmm. not to say that we're like creating this unrealistic pedestal. We were watching a documentary the other day about the people who developed the COVID-19 vaccine and just like hearing all the scientists talking about like leaving their families at home and working late and working all hours. And yeah. one of the scientists was saying that her son had said to her, like, it's okay, I know that you're doing it for the right thing or for the for a good reason. Mm -hmm. And that was very important to her as being like, oh, okay, he understands yeah. why I'm doing this. I don't know. I just think there are versions of that that happen all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. He's just like that scientist. Mm-hmm. So at this point, though, there is a knock. It's a messenger who tells him about Baruch. And soon, Baruch is lying on the camp bed in the other room. He is very badly wounded. Mm. So, we quote, his wings torn and his eyes dimmed. This is not looking good. Yeah. Uh, Lord Asriel throws some herbs on the coals in the uh, brazier as the smoke helps him see the angel more clearly, which is cool. Mm -hmm. and it's clear that he's like used to that and he's still like okay angel's here make, make some smoke um, and the angel dust <laughs> and then he asks what the angel has come to tell him and calls him sir which I find really interesting mm. because is that because he's an angel or just like general respectfulness I don't know so Baruch tells him he has three things to say and must say all before Lord Asriel speaks he tells him of himself and Balthamos, how they are rebel angels but wanted to bring something worthwhile to Asriel's cause, as their actual power is relatively weak. He struggles several times in the telling and has to pause to either breathe in the smoke of the herbs, which seem to help or soothe him in some way, or to literally gather himself because he can feel himself, quote, drifting apart mm -hmm. as his strength fails. And this is so horrible and terrifying i don't know why but this description just mm, just not affects me every time yeah. i just really hate this idea of like your own self drifting apart do you mm. not think that's horrible it's not the best <laughs> uh, you're like i don't know being sliced not... up and stuff is probably worse right for not to yeah it's funny though i don't see it as like it sounds kind of innocuous like if gentle. i was being dissolved that, that feels horrible. Don't put me in a vat of acid, thank you. No, to me it's But sounds, if it was yeah. more like how the demons kind of fade away when the human dies, I don't know. I don't it, see it as like particularly awful. It's just all death is bad. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I There's just something psychologically about it that I really don't like. All right. I don't know why. I just really, Interesting. I really react quite viscerally to this. I'll be honest, I don't understand it either because aren't angels supposed to be manifestations or structures of dust yeah so why would it split up all of a sudden because like why do angels die why would angels die can't they just get more dust shattering 
Yeah. They've stopped doing things Can't and therefore they no longer matter. Plug the matter hole? I don't, um, I don't know. Don't know. Just feels weird. Don't think about it too much, Ian. It's probably cool. fine. Yeah. <laughs> so um, here are some of the things that he tells Lord Asriel. Firstly, he tells him of his and Balthamos's break into the clouded mountain. We... The authority has basically... No, you're no, blossing over the clouded mountain. Third, third self-referential part of this chapter yeah. from our podcast. So, Galavespians, tick. Lodestone Resonators, tick. Yeah. Clouded Mountain, the name that we've given our, not studio, but corner of a room in which we record <laughs> the clouded mountain studio yeah now we've got the clouded mountain not reference. pretentious at all pew, pew, pew. Anyway. <laughs> yeah that was very important to stop me for thank you yep, Ian. you're welcome the correct decision so, please continue <laughs> the authority has basically handed over all responsibilities of running the kingdom to metatron and himself has retreated deep into a chamber of crystal deep in the clouded mountain where he quote unquote contemplates deeper mysteries. And he tells Asriel a bit about Metatron as well. He describes him as proud, with limitless ambition, and that he and the Authority have been laying plans for 4,000 years. So Lord Asriel is a little bit behind. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, I was just thinking as I was reading that out, actually, this reminds me of the quote from the beginning of the chapter. So there is maybe a little bit of, like, is Metatron the devil? Mm. Or Satan or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. Just quickly, mm. I can't remember if in the Metatron chapter, did we do, like, who is Metatron? No, what but it is, comes up later on What is a Metatron? All what right. is a Metatron? Okay, so let's cover it very briefly now. So Metatron is basically the angel form of a man called Enoch. Enoch becomes Metatron. I don't know why, but you made that sound like Metatron was a Digimon and like... He, it is like, very much like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enoch evolves Enoch. into Metatron. Um, <laughs> and Enoch is one of the sons of Adam in a sort of roundabout way. I can't remember how many generations down it is. I don't think it's direct son. So this kind of got me wondering, like, is Baruch also a son of Adam? And we'll come onto that later in the chapter. Oh, yeah. I didn't but, even think about that. But at this point, it's a bit like, mm-hmm. Because there's an allusion to the fact, I think, I think in, I don't know, a couple of paragraphs time, where Baruch is like, I knew Metatron, we go way back, <laughs> pretty much. Um, they're brothers. They, they, they say they're brothers. They say they're brothers. Yeah. So, yeah, does that mean that uh, Baruch is, you know, a descendant of Adam and Eve, which is c- kind of cool and interesting. Mm. More to say on that later. And Baruch is over 4,000 years old. So we know from one yeah. of the previous chapters in this book, Balthamos tells us that's his age. And I did some genealogy looking at when our various people in the Bible are supposed to have been did you born. Did go on, like, find my, find my ancestor? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Typed in Enoch. Turns out, I'm a descendant of Adam. <laughs> um, and yeah, Enoch is supposed to have been born in whatever crazy way the Bible people figure this kind of thing out. In... Oh, it's fucking Bible time. Huh? Never mind, carry on. It's Bible time. <laughs> uh yeah. Enoch is supposed to have been born in 3378 BC. Very oh precise. Oh my god. Very precise. That's ridiculous. So basically, Enoch is a thousand years older, maybe, mm. than Baruch. So the only But thing they I've... vaguely know each other. They've all been hanging around in the oldie times, um, before the floodness. Oh, I think, no, I think Baruch says that Enoch was his brother. Yeah, 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 but all these people live fucking ages. Oh yeah, that's like, true. Like Methuselah is 900 years yeah, old or whatever the hell. Yeah. So, you know, we're in this weird time continuum okay. of the Old Testament. Yeah. The real question is... Not the Old Testament. Is it the Old Testament? Yeah. Cool. 
I think. Nailed it. I don't know. I don't no, know yeah, the new about. one's the Jesus one, and the, the old new, one's the pre-Jesus the one. One's the pre- Pre-Jesus. <laughs> Pre-Jesus and Jesus, yeah. Yeah. The real question is, Ian, yeah. is it the 1800s? That's the only time that matters. This is before then. It's before I'm then. I'm confident on that. Okay, so it's <laughs> still possible that it is the 1800s. Yeah. I also looked up the etymology of Metatron, because we said we did it last time, oh, yeah. and we forgot. Metatron seems to be made up of two Greek words for after and throne. Meta. Mm. Tronos. Mm. <laughs> or Thronos, I don't know. Taken together as one who serves behind the throne or one who occupies the throne next to the throne of glory. Oh, that's dope. How cool is that? That's very good. That's good, right? Yeah. That's basically the whole description of his role. Right. So Sneaky side power. Sneaky side oh, power. Also, so just to return quickly to this, who is Baruch then? Baruch's mm. a pretty big deal. Yeah. How is he a lesser angel? Who is more... I, who's more good more than, like, than a him. son of Adam? Yeah. Or even a direct lineage of Adam within a few named generations. Maybe if you're a son of Adam, that doesn't mean shit, though. Maybe there's, like... Maybe you're shit if you're a son of Adam, actually, because it's like, hmm. This is all from one universe as well, so maybe there are better universes. But they're, like, but they have even like... more buff sons of Adam. Yeah. Yeah. A damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it works. Yeah. The universe where it's Adam and the ant, there's no Eve. Yeah. I do, I do hope, I do hope that uh, there are like Galavespian angels. Oh, that's cool. And like bear angels. Yeah. I doubt it though. Big wings. Big wings. On <laughs> the bear angels. Very Huge. mighty, heavy wings. Huge. Anyway, yeah, so it's just that we've come across Balthamos and Baruch as like, mm. they've self-described as being slightly crap angels. <laughs> well, you know, Baruch is yeah. thousands of years old, not just by nature of when he came to be, but by nature of being... A son of Adam. Yeah. Bit more kudos for Baruch in this whole thing. Yeah, come on, Baruch, big yourself up. Mm-hmm. So their grand plan, Baruch and Balthamos, that is, they discovered that um, the authority reckons that conscious beings are, quote unquote, dangerously independent. So the authority and Metatron want to intervene more in conscious beings' affairs, which sounds great. Ooh. Metatron intends to move the authority away from the Clouded Mountain to somewhere permanent, and he will turn the Clouded Mountain into an engine of war, which is super fucking cool. Super rival Asriel, rival mm-hmm. badass Satan figure, mm-hmm. basically. And he reckons that all churches in all worlds are too weak and two ready to compromise. Holy shit, that's so, intense. Which is what they're famous for. Yeah. The Magisterium compromise too much for Metatron. That's intense. Yeah. So he wants to set up a permanent inquisition in all worlds, run from his own kingdom. Oh, and also he wants to destroy Asriel's Republic. So, you know, some plans of mine are concerned to you, Asriel, mm. basically. And that's all just fucking point one on Baruch's list. So pay attention. <laughs> Brace yourselves for points yeah. two to three. And a small, a small thing here on this Republic as an interesting distinction, just to focus on the precise meaning of that word. This means that the government of the entity is done by the people and their elected representatives. So as opposed to a kingdom, which is an autocracy with one person in charge of everything with final say. So this is super interesting. This is how Asriel is setting up his republic to run. He is wanting to be like an elected leader, a voted for leader. Has he had a vote? I don't know. Uh, Maybe he has. That would be cool, right? We all know how that turns out, though. (laughs) First among equals. Yeah. 
the I, the well, pigs, that's the, the thing, right? The thing is. I was listening to something really interesting re- recently about the founding of America and the problems of establishing a new republic there and how this idea of a president was basically a really, really tricky and problematic concept in practice versus mm. in theory because it's like, what does the president do? And how is it different from a king? We don't really know. Should we just work this out on the job? Yeah, okay, let's work this out on the job. Oh, we got it a bit wrong. Oh, shit, let's course correct. So um, I imagine Asriel is having to contend with all of that as well as being a cross-universe hmm. leader and also waging a war. So it's a political problem as well as everything That's else. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I haven't really thought about that before. I know that there's all the Romy links Mm-hmm. In American politics, even mm. just having a Senate and calling it the Senate. Yeah. There's a lot of like, yeah, Rome was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we want like this ideal of the Republic. Yeah. And really twigged that that's like, as part of coming out of British colonial rule, let's not just set up another monarchy. Yeah. We don't really like kings. Who else no. didn't like kings? The Romans. Let's use their model. It's one of the reasons that they really liked George Washington as an initial leader in that he was very ideologically tied to that. Yeah. Um, and like wanted to make the idea of a republic work. Mm-hmm. He didn't want power. He wanted mm. to stick to the ideology. Anyway, one, I don't know mm. much about that. And one of them like fucking loved. Was it Cincinnatus? One of the guys that kept coming back and being like, sure, yes. I'll have power and I'll give it up again. Yes, and exactly. They fucking loved him. Yeah. Irony of ironies though, Amy. Because, mm. you know, the whole thing fell down because the Romans got a bit too emperor happy. Yeah. So I don't know why. Anyway. We are going on a massive tangent. I'm mm. going to... Keep, um, weirdly enough, Ian, anyway, I, I I'm like... going to stop you talking for about other things that aren't Lord Asriel and bring you back to Lord Asriel. No, no, let me bring myself back to Lord Asriel. <laughs> Fucking first among equals here, Lord Asriel. Hmm. He's Augustus and Caesar just waiting to happen, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Pretty much. Ah, oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Asriel is very excited uh, and clearly galvanised by this news, but stays quiet and contains everything as best he can, whilst Baruch continues on to part two. This is about the knife. He says that the knife's power is, quote-unquote, unlimited, but only in the hands of the one who knows how to use it. So, quick point. Hmm. Do you know who else had a knife, or if we can talk about it, a sword, maybe? Bit of a stretch, but keep with me on this. Michael, the archangel who leads God's troops into battle. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, in Paradise Lost, it gets described as, quote, The sword of Michael from the armour of God was given him tempered so that neither keen nor solid might resist that edge. Don't. Sound familiar. And Michael also slices into the devil using that sword. So, quote, unquote, passed through him, but the ethereal substance closed, not long divisible. So, cutting spirit stuff and cutting other angels which is super cool mm. so i quite like that this is like this idea about maybe the sword of michael being a bit like the knife and then maybe there is that about metatron being satan or like the authority being satan or whatever it all gets a bit confusing in terms of where you point the sword but anyway another quick fact that i found about the sword of, of st michael because i thought it was really cool there's this fable about the sword of st michael which is a line drawn by some across the world which links up a number of sanctuaries named after st michael based on reported sightings of the saint saint so basically you'd have like mont saint michel the places in ireland places in israel places in like cornwall places mm-hmm. in blah 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 and they all line up on the map to create a perfect line if you draw it like that. Okay. And there's this claim or this myth that this is the sign, that this is the straight line that was part of the battle between St. Michael and Satan, where Michael is claimed to have struck the earth with his sword. Dope. I mean, clearly, Fact. bollocks. 
Absolute fact. But badass. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, cool. So Baruch has to pause at this point to recover. He's frightened as he feels his own atoms drifting apart. Oh, yeah, I hate it. I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like it. So he tells Lord Asriel that his companion is with the boy holding the knife, but they wanted to bring the boy stroked here. Hmm. But then he goes on to the third thing. Yes. So the third thing, Mm. Baruch explains that this boy also knows Lyra. So at this, Asriel can't really help interrupting Baruch, even though he's promised not to, and just to let the angel speak, asking who the boy is. And upon learning that he's the son of Stanislas Grumman, Asriel stands up abruptly and starts to ask more. Do you think it's weird that this is all the, this, of this all is, the things, yes. this is the thing that shocks him? Yeah. That he's like, Makes what? Very little... Stanislas Grumman had a son? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I don't know how tight they're supposed to be, but yes, it's odd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Baruch explains that he's from another world, uh, mm. Grumman is, I, yeah. Asriel's now being caught up on the whole John Parry thing, mm-hmm. and that it was Grumman who led the angels to the boy with the knife, and ultimately, you know, to the knife. Mm-hmm. So we get a nice little bit of, oh, Asriel's on catch-up TV time. He's just getting the <laughs> John Parry backstory uh, from Baruch. Yeah, and uh, learning why Lyra is so important again. Sort of. He's him and Starmo were just like, why is everyone obsessed with Lyra? And it's like Lyra's fucking popping up again. It must be a weird. I suppose moment, so. Yeah. You know what I mean? But in here, it's more like Will's important and the knife is important. But like Will's uh, important and he's friends with Lyra. Lyra's it's not there. like they're just. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. So yeah, Azrael kind of berating himself a little bit for having stood up and caused Baruch, I guess, more undue stress because mm. he's kind of still trying to hold his physical being together. Oh. So you know. Being startled, not great. So Azrael, yeah, sits down. Baruch collects himself. And then Azrael asks where Lyra is. And Baruch explains that she's in the Himalaya in a valley full of rainbows. But he's kind of slightly wondering at this point. Like his, his mind isn't very yeah. focused on providing clear answers. So mm. his, his consciousness is actually sort of drifting away. And now we get an excellent little bit of Pullman, in my view, speaking to past Ian and Amy. Okay. And anyone who's contacted us to describe, wait, well, how does Mrs. Coulter travel 5,000 miles in two days? Uh, because Azriel goes, the Himalaya, that's a fucking long way. That's, <laughs> that's not what, a, what he says. It's not a direct quote. Oh. Uh, Isn't it? It's pretty close. <laughs> you must be um, on a different version to me, because he's definitely said that yeah, in my yeah. version. So no, he's, uh, he, he says that's a long way in both worlds, mm. and that Baruch must have flown quickly. So, you know, I like this little nudge to almost Pullman going, oh yeah, fuck, that is quite a long way. Oh well, I'll just address that and then move on. Yeah, but also Ian, it is the only gift I have except the love of Barthamos, who I shall never see again. Yeah, which is a sad little self-reflection from Baruch. So he's accepting Azriel's kind of praise that he can fly Mm. quickly and that's his superpower. But the only other thing that's worth a damn in his world is the love of Barthamos. So that's a bit sad, but also kind of nice. But then, equally, he's convinced at this stage that he will never see Barthamus again, that Baruch knows he's dying, and yeah. You can maybe trust the word of a 4,000-year-old angel that he's probably not probably. wrong in his assessment of that. Yeah, which so. is not looking good for him in no. this chapter. But true to form of, like, I don't have time for this nostalgic shit, <laughs> Azriel points out that if Baruch could find Lyra so easily, you know, this angel managed to track her down to this valley in, in the Himalaya, then so might any other angel. Mm. Hashtag Metatron. So, Azrael grabs an atlas from his desk and asks uh, Baruch to more specifically pinpoint where Lyra is. The Himalaya obviously being a massive fucking region. Mm-hmm. 
But again, Bruce's mind continues to wander, and he kind of gives a potted account of Metatron's attack recently. So doesn't really answer Azrael's question. But he, in this uh, sort of account of Metatron and what happened, he says, I was his brother. That was how we found our way to him in the Clouded Mountain. Metatron was once Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel. Enoch had many wives. He was a lover of the flesh. My brother Enoch cast me out because I... Dot, dot, dot. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I think we may have done. I just forget what we have and haven't talked about. We may have talked about who Metatron is in the biblical sense Mm. before, but I'm going to labor the point here. So he ultimately is a son of Adam. So if you go through the genealogy, mm-hmm. you got... I, I actually didn't note all them down, but... I've got, I've got a family oh, tree in front of me. If have you? Want. you? Yeah. Let me test me. Wait, wait. So Adam and Eve beget yep. Cain and Abel. And? The other one that no <laughs> one cares about. <laughs> the other one. The other one is actually the only important one in this case. Enoch. Damn no. <laughs> Think of Rogan, but not... Joe. Ziff. No, not that one. The other Rogan. Josh. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's no other Rogan. Seth. All oh, right. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Because I looked at that and went uh, Egyptian, mm. but no. Mm. Okay, Seth. Yeah. Who has a son, Mahazdrabel? No. M- Manrabel. <laughs> no. Enos. Yes, Enos. Who has a son? Jared. Keenan. Keenan. Who has a son? Jared. Mahalahel. Jared. <laughs> who has a son? Jared. Enoch. Hey. No, 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 no. Jared, who has a son? Enoch. Right. So he's like six or seven generations post Adam. Yeah. Which is like fairly origin story. Mm. You know, OG man OG and man, OG yeah. angel. So that's Metatron. As a man, he was known as Enoch, but now he's an angel. He's known as Metatron, mm. which and is all also, the same shit as in the Bible. That's like just yes. true fact. Exactly. And also Enoch's son is one of, I think, but anyway, Methuselah, who then also has a son, Lamech or Lanek, who then has a son, Noah, mm. who you might have heard of. Yes. So yeah, that's you know Enoch's line then continuing on is also of interest to general biblical stories. Because yeah. people have heard of Methuselah and Noah yeah, yeah. and other people. So. so when I read all this, I was like, hang on, then why couldn't we find anything for Baruch? Because I think when you look yeah. it up, it's like there's a messenger from memory or like a scribe of someone important that's also called Baruch. But mm. it's not obvious that would be the link. Yeah. So this is clearly it. And the only thing I could really find is that the Bible does speak of Jared, but Baruch and Enoch's dad, Mm. having become a father to other sons and daughters, but of those children, only Enoch is named specifically. So I quite like the the idea that Baruch is one of these unnamed sons of Jared. that's cool. But there is some root in the Bible literariness that Pullman's found at least a reference that you could tap into and go, even if you don't know what they were called. Yeah. So, yeah, that goes, to me at least, it adds a lot more... Oh, fuck, Baruch is fairly important, as, yeah. as we've already discussed. I know, like, why is he a low-powered angel? He yeah, should exactly. be super important. Super old, son of Adam, turned yeah. angel, yeah. brother of Metatron. He should be like a Metatron, well, not evil cousin, positive, <laughs> yin and yang cousin, brother. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's just kind of interesting. I'd never looked into any of this, but Baruch is a bad man. And has some great lineage, mm-hmm. so go Baruch. That's assuming that lineage is important, which it might not be. No, but angelness um, and Bibleness. Be, because Son of Adam. You know. Yeah, but also... Yeah. Yeah. And there's lots of stuff in there, though, that's important, not about Baruch and his history, but about Metatron, which we should bear in mind. Mm. I imagine this may come up again mm. at some point. Uh, so he's prideful, lustful, a lover of flesh, 
And we know that this there's this thing of angels don't really have physical bodies and you mm-hmm. can barely see them in direct sunlight and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And there's obviously a huge element here of hypocrisy because he wants to instigate a new inquisition in the church and presumably reinforce all of the don't have sex, no loving of flesh, don't be prideful, love thy father yeah. and mother. Apart from me, stuff. I'm allowed to do all of that exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yes. So Metatron, uh, grade A douchebag. Yeah. Also, so that that's all like Pullman invention. I couldn't find any basis for that in in Bible times. Oh, of Metatron of, being an asshole. Of Enoch being like right. you know lustful and prideful and stuff because yep. you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a little interesting thing uh, about Enoch himself. I thought he did. No, no, no. Is in the Enoch had many wives. I think that's a thing. Okay. I can't tell you much more than that. Right. But I think that's truth. Bible that might truth. Might be true. <laughs> yeah. Bible truth. Gospel truth. So. Yeah, there is a thing about Enoch's death in the in the Bible. It doesn't say that he died. Mm. It just says that God took him. Ah. So a lot of people have taken that to mean that he was taken into heaven alive, and that might be why he was he would be extra powerful as an angel, ah. or might be more likely to become an angel. Mm-hmm. There's this whole kind of theory about like Enoch's ascension being special mm. in some way mm. which i think is really cool and that's why metatron maybe as a figure in the angelology is seen to be so powerful or whatever mm. Mm. and there's also something about metatron being the chief of all archangels able to complete any wish of god on his own at god's own word so basically all powerful but still attendant upon god's throne as the ultimate authority Sick. which is super interesting mm. that there's some basis for that in religious yeah. text because it's kind of heretical. Mm. Um, Only all powerful if God tells him to do something. Yeah. Yeah. So you can carry because out God's will, but can't just to be that or yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting mm-hmm. and builds into this whole metatron being as powerful as God thing. Yeah. So despite our kind of interest in all of that, uh, Asriel cuts through this <laughs> the genealogy history lesson, asking simply, "Where is the girl?" So you know he kind of needs a more precise location than somewhere. Mm-hmm. In North India-ish. <laughs> and at this, Baruch does kind of come back to himself, or at least en route to coming back to lucidity. He mentions that Lyra's mother is also in the valley. Yes. Which is full of shrines and flags. So that's... I'll come on to the next bit, which is sad and terrible. But that's basically all Asriel knows. Because, no spoiler alert, in the next sentence, Baruch dies. So, you know. <laughs> in chapter spoiler, <laughs> just, just saying. Right. Uh, so at this point, all, all Azrael really has to go on is that Lyra is held somewhere in a valley in the Himalayas full of rainbows. Which is fucking huge yeah. as an and area. And it's held by her mother, and that there are shrines and a flag and flags about the place. Which... Which might narrow it down at least to a populated region. Come on, there's like, got to be yeah. thousands of square mm-hmm. kilometres. So anyway, don't really know what Azrael's going to do with this information, yeah. but off to the Himalayas, I suppose. Yeah. And just briefly, mm. before we move on from Baruch, I think his relationship with Enoch, his brother, is really interesting because we get that dot, dot, dot when he says that his brother cast him out. Mm. And there's no explanation for that. But it's interesting, the idea that whatever he was cast out for wasn't enough of a bad thing to stop him from becoming an angel, if you see what yeah, I mean. That's interesting. So you don't mm. necessarily have to lead a life that another angel would deem moral or perfect. Mm. So even the two humans who vastly disagreed on something and caused an estrangement Mm. meant that both of them could still become angels. I think that's a really interesting divide in opinion or whatever it was that they fought about. Do you mm-hmm. see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm explaining that very well. Also, I do have to wonder if this might be a homophobia-related estrangement. 
Oh, that's um, an interesting because one. Because if, yeah. well, Baruch clearly loves Barthamos, mm-hmm. presumably your sexuality doesn't change when you become an angel. Mm-hmm. Who knows what, what else may change about mm. you. But yeah. Um, that would have been an interesting that's... sort of thing to include, or at least a little bit more of a breadcrumb for that. I feel like that's implied, but maybe that's me reading into it because I feel like that is, given, oh. given how little we know about yeah. Baruch... Well, I suppose like the order would for... make sense, would lead you to that, because this is my, bro- my brother Enoch cast me out because I, and then the next thing he refers to in this kind of not very lucid jumping from topics, but still the next thing that crops up is my dear Balthamos. Yeah, that, that's, that's also why I think mm. it is, and also unfortunately because humans are shits and are strange people because of their yeah, yeah. sexuality reasonably ah. frequently. I like that addition. Let's up. go with that. That's now canon. <laughs> so yeah, to uh, just plough through the inevitable... So having given Azrael this kind of final piece of information about the flags and shrines, at that very moment, Stel Maria jumps and leaps towards the door, but she's too late, mm. because it swings open as one of Azrael's orderlies walks in, presumably to provide an update and some information about some shit. The air disturbance then is too much, and Baruch can no longer hold his form together. And quote, The particles of the angel's form, loosened by the waning of his strength, swirled upwards into randomness and vanished. Balthama! Came a whisper from the air. There's more like... There you go. Yeah. How about that? Good. Yeah, that's that's really making me cry. Thank you That's not great, is it? Obviously, Um, I cried whilst reading this, but especially because we've been chatting about this chapter before I started making my notes on this bit. Mm. And we'd been, you know, I think you asked me, oh, what happens in this chapter again? And I said, oh, it's the one where Baruch is speaking to Asriel, Mm. because I'd read a bit of it already. And we both decided, based on that conversation, that Baruch... Definitely couldn't die in this chapter. This can't be the one that he dies in. Because mm, there's uh, so much that seems to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, I, I even skim read to the end, as I sometimes do, to get the general shape of the chapter. So I got my hopes up, and then it was a total shock that he died. So I was, like, <laughs> completely distraught. Mm. But they've had a good run of it for 4,000 years. Yeah, um, four chapters. Years and together. And, you know, the, all of that time seemingly with Balthamos, which yeah. is nice, the greatest gift mm-hmm. that he has. Yes, yeah, so basically um, what we were whinging about, Amy. I know. <laughs> uh, though I, I do think, like, you know, if 50, if a 50-year anniversary is gold, what fucking precious oh metal God. shit do you get for, like, 4,000 years together? aren't they? <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Happy unobtainium. Mm. So, not to completely uh, just destroy this moment of, yeah, oh, sad, on. we miss the angels, the angels were good characters, bye-bye mm. one of them. Well, I, was speaking, I was speaking to my dad, a listener of the podcast, yeah. uh, about some of this. Yeah. And he was like, the angels, now that he's reading it again, are just a bit kind of crap. <laughs> or at mm. least non-entities. These, these two. These two, sorry. These two. And his sort of rationale that I kind of agree with is that they're supposed to be 4,000 years angelic beings. Mm. And at least in the characterization that Pullman's given, Balthamos probably more than Baruch, he's just a kind of sarcastic, slightly snide... They're a bit flawed. Pain in the ass. Do you know what I mean? They're not these, like, we are full of majesty and angelic power type. Oh, yeah, shit me. I mean... They're fucking amazing. And Will isn't, If you think about like, what? super old relatives, though, doesn't necessarily mean that yeah, but like they're these full of wisdom angel, and, like, nah, angelness, don't have though. emotional reactions Think of the 4,000 angelness, Amy. And nah. the wings and the light and the angelicness. And I, I sort of tend to agree. Uh, I... We've had these four and a half chapters with Baruch, mm. and while he's a kind of nice guy, feels sad about the relationship yeah. loss, and yeah. well done for getting the information to Azrael in time, mm. it's a little bit like... Eh. Well, we just don't know much about him. We barely no, spend exactly. any time with him whatsoever. Yes. But 
I think the only thing that we do know about him is how strong and impactful this relationship seems to be between him and Balthamos based on what Will perceives, Mm -hmm. which then means that we know that Balthamos is going to be really, really cut up about this. Yeah, yeah. And also, contrary to my dad, just briefly, I know that to some degree, Pullman wouldn't have wanted to make the angels some kind of super beings. Yeah. Because the whole point is that there isn't a supernatural god that's eternal and all-powerful yeah it's just angels fucking about Mm -hmm. and the angels are corrupt and flawed and they're just made of a different matter to humans but they're kind of like all conscious beings they're not immaculate they've got foibles as well yeah Mm. but i do take the point baruch now exits stage right and we kind of go okay that was fun oh uh being very cold-hearted i'm sad he was the best one so Azrael though yeah similarly to me, recovers at once. Um, forestalling the apologies from the order- orderly. Oh, what a shit um, day for them. And it's just like, yeah, it, well, he doesn't actually say this to the orderly, but in the narration, it's kind of, it was no one's fault. This was how things were done. People just open doors. They don't think, knock and wait and all that kind of stuff. I think he does say not your fault. He does explicitly oh, say okay, not your fault. Yeah. I made a note of that because I was yeah. like, does he say it? But yeah, yeah he does. Well done, that's real good, good, good mm-hmm. management style. We like that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, then blasts straight through. Asking the orderly to take my compliments to King Ogunway. I would be glad if he and my other commanders could step here at once. I would also like Mr. Basilides to attend with the alethiometer. Finally, I want number two squadron of gyropters armed and fueled, and a tanker zeppelin to take off at once and head southwest. I shall send further orders in the air. That is a fucking decisive fucking list. Bang, bang, bang. Just all the layers of management. Bring the team, do the middle ground thing, and then here's a tactic to go and deploy, and we'll figure out the long-term strategy in the meantime. Yeah. Don't... Ah, it's just great. Can you Asriel, just... real. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Calm, calm your boots there. Yeah. So just to pause a little bit, hmm. I'm quite impressed with the way that Asriel conducts himself this entire time. Whee! Not just because of this very decisive, clear leadership moment mm-hmm. where he's just had a fuck of a lot to take in yep. he's not like uh mm, okay i need to think about what i just heard for a second so maybe i need to mm, okay i'll talk to them he's not like that which is 100 nope. percent what i would be oh, like yes. i'd be like oh fuck what uh i need to think go away yeah. no one disturb me for five hours yeah. um so yeah he's he's just immediately setting up the next steps mm. and also even through Baruch, the the conversation with Baruch, he's really respectful to him. But also, like, I think we have to refer back to the excellent title coined by Michael of King of Compartmentalizing. Mm. But the point where Baruch says, oh, by the way, your daughter's involved. She's involved as prophecy. So-and-so's got a knife. And then, you know, Sansa Grumman is from another world. And, and Lord Azrael's like, what? Sansa Grumman has been able to reproduce? What? And <laughs> yeah. that's somehow the thing that shocks him. Mm-hmm. But even though he's clearly so caught up in his emotions, he manages to settle himself down, calm mm. himself down and be like, take your time, sir. Do what you need. I'm just going to sit here really quietly and let you take your time to explain what yeah. you need to, rather than being like, fuck, and pacing around the room, which is what I would be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The composure and... Composure is a really good Self-control is a really mm. amazing, amazing reflection here. Yes, he is the best real. No, um, he's not. He's not. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm impressed with how he's conducted himself. So one of the things I'm most impressed... Actually, no, let's go through the little sequence. So yeah. King of Gunway, interesting. We'll come back to that probably. Yeah. And the rest of his commanders. Of course, there are commanders. I wonder who they will be. Yeah. Mr. Basilides, who has an alethiometer and presumably can read it, which is very interesting, interesting. very useful for Azrael, 
And Asriel um, didn't could... want Lyra's alethiometer when yeah. they met up in Svalbard. A bit weird. I suppose you still need someone to read it, though, right? Yeah, but maybe he... Could have had a spare. Could have had one. Quite useful. Yeah, maybe he knew that he was going to meet up with Chute Cross Basilides, and then he... Don't know. I don't know. It all seems a bit odd. Yes, but it's useful, so that's cool. We're, mm. we, it's good to have an alethiometrist on side. Yeah. But then the bit I really like... It's just this, like, throwing a ball that you're going to have to assume someone can go and catch. <laughs> yeah. Ordering a squadron of gyropters. Yes. Which, again, we'll just come back to. Lots of spoilery breadcrumbs here, but we fi- we find out what they are. Oh, I was just going to explain why they oh, are Oh, they're helicopters. <laughs> well, well, I'll come back to it in more detail. But anyway, <laughs> yes, come on. So yeah, I just, I like this tactic. Yeah. We know that you need to head generally in the Himalaya direction. Yeah. It's going to take fucking days. Let's it's not waste time. Mission. Go okay. southwest, mm. and then we'll tell you exactly what bearing and course to take in a few hours' time when we've actually figured something out. It's a long way. Great, because then you save the hours. Yeah. Genius. It is good. It is good. He's got his head screwed on here. Mm-hmm. He's gearing up for a rescue mission. So, onto gyropters. Mm. It's essentially a helicopter with a single blade, i.e. a monocopter. Wait, are they a thing? They are a thing. Fuck off. So, gyro (laughs) ring uh, versus heli from helix spiral and pteron wing. Mm. So, this is where the the etymology comes in. So, it's kind of Uh, like gyropter comes from helicopter, Mm. but gyropter. Anyway, Mm. um, and the first ever air jet helicopter was called the gyropter. Cool. And was designed and patented by Alphonse Papin. 1800s, 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 And 1800s, Didier Quilly in 1911 <gasps> to 1914. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was based on a sycamore seed. So if you've seen oh, yeah, sycamore yeah, yeah. seeds mm. falling and they have a single win, wing, but they were delayed in testing due to the war, but the prototype actually ended up sinking as they couldn't get it up to the 60 RPM needed for takeoff. It was too heavy and not a big enough engine and stuff. Mm. But so it was scrapped as an idea. Because they were like, well, sorry, but we have to, you know, go do this whole war effort thing. Mm. So probably going to do that rather than go back to helicopters. They they seem to be progressing better. Um, But basically, I had pictured basically when I was reading this a helicopter but with a single blade at the top. Why? That's curious. I don't know why. But that's not how it actually is. What it is is if you picture that sycamore seed, so it's got a, a bulby, roundy bit in mm-hmm. the middle mm-hmm. and then one single wing like a dragonfly tail yes. that that spins out but that one single wing rotates kind of underneath or around the actual cockpit so you're in the cockpit oh, right. in the middle mm. and then you got this fucking big wing rotating around you mm. and you're like stabilized in the middle which is way cooler mm. and um, we'll post a picture of the actual original design because they made it look like this beautiful sycamore seed thing oh, and it's cool. amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah I just think it's really fucking That's cool awesome. and I can't wait for this to be in an adaptation I've, of any kind yeah I've read these books and always just assumed oh that's a funky word for helicopter in the same way they've got amber and uh, ambaric I just thought quirky word okay I like that it's an yeah. actually different contraption uh-huh. that's cool yeah I don't know if there are any descriptions to come that will just prove me wrong so. that maybe I've not read I think, it properly. I think there might be something about the single blade, which is where, hmm. where I had the idea of like a helicopter with a single blade thing. Up. But I don't know how I thought that would work physically. Mm, very cool. So, as the orderly leaves, Lord Azrael gets up and goes back to stare out the window. He says to Starmaria quietly, Well, we've learned a lot, Starmaria, but not enough. 
too true but it's mm-hmm. only chapter five asriel there's mm-hmm. time there is time and then chukras basilides arrives described as a pale thin man in middle age and with a nightingale demon so presumably great fucking singing voice yeah, yeah. um it's his main main attribute and also it seems like a load of people are from lord asriel's world or world with demons yes. which is very interesting yeah it just keeps it simple doesn't it so as for the name i did look into a little bit of chukras basilides and his Definitely Greek. Mm-hmm. Such a Greek name. Mm-hmm. Um, but there might be some influences to this name. So Teucer or Teucros could be Teucer from Greek myth, who is the half-brother of Ajax and a famed archer who fought in the Trojan War. So pretty mm. cool. Yeah. Or it could be Teucer, I might be mispronouncing it, it might be Teucer anyway, of Babylon, who was an astrologer from ancient Egypt. So now. That- even though the Trojan archer sounds super cool, I'm actually more inclined to draw a random link to the astrologer as A, divination, yep. symbol reading, and lithiometer reading, mm-hmm, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And B, Chaucer of Babylon is thought to have been read by uh, his works, is thought to have been read by Giordano Bruno, who's linked to the creation of the lithiometer itself. Very good. So I'm saying That's it's Chaucer of Babylon. We like that. Or mm-hmm. completely random, but I made a random connection. <laughs> yeah. And wait, as wait, for- was the Babylon's dude's last name Basilides? No. Just no, Chusa of Babylon. Okay, we'll still go with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As for Basilides, that's, uh, as well as generally being a Greek name, is also the name of a religious teacher in Alexandria in the first century, so around 117 to 138 AD. And these works are some of the earliest, earliest surviving commentaries on the gospel. But also he was a Gnostic teacher, which also perks up my ears, or eyes because Pullman <laughs> tends to like uh, Gnosticism mm. uh, so Gnosticism in a really crap summary is basically the idea that you should prioritise your personal spiritual experience and knowledge over those of doctrine or systems or organisations of religion which mm. is partly why Pullman is so critical of the magisterium itself yeah. rather than spiritualism in general e.g. the gods of the witches or what we see from John Parry as a shaman or any other, the, other kind of things which might be a spiritual experience rather than a religious doctrine and structure mm-hmm. and you yeah, must yeah. do these things or you will not get into heaven. Rah, 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 rah. Yes. Um, so I reckon there might be a nod to Basilides of Alexandria. Nice. Possibly. <laughs> so Asriel tells Basilides everything that Baruch had told him and asks him to dedicate all his energies to finding the cave and getting coordinates for it again how do numbers work with the lithiometer we don't have time for these questions but moving on uh, so Lord Asriel leaves him with this advice this is the most important task you have ever undertaken begin at once if you please mm. awesome and fight so I would assume that Basilides hasn't just been sat around doing nothing. Nope. So he'll been figuring out how to make new weapons, yep. uh, what defences to build, intel on the enemy. Great Are they point. about to be subject to betrayals who might be a spy? That's such a good point. So to say, fuck everything else you're doing in this yeah. war effort on God, this is now your most important task. Do you think he's the only lithiometer reader that he I has? I would not want to see his Trello board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he must have a load of stuff on. So that is basically the end of the this bit, part of the chapter. Yeah. But we now have some more italics. And we rejoin Lyra as she's firmly denying to Roger that she'd forget this conversation if she woke up or that she'd think it was a dream and then not really believe that they were talking in the world of the dead, which I guess it mm. is them talking in the world of the dead somehow. Mm. Like you have to kind of assume that these italics are a real thing that's happening. Yeah. So Lyra stamps her foot down so hard that it even hurts in the dream which is interesting. So is she really there? Is she mm. not? 
interesting. And anyway, Lyra tells Roger that she will wake up and won't forget, and how dare he even suggest otherwise, as he can't believe it either. Uh, so the faces all around her that she looks at defiantly all show hopelessness. They're silent and wide-eyed with sorrow, crowding round and all types of people, all types of lives, old and young, crammed in. But Roger's face is the only one showing a glimmer of hope. Come on, Roger! Um, <laughs> this is so cool. I can kind of picture Lyra observing all of this. Bearing in mind, she's always had the power to sway people, including rallying mm, large yes, groups of people. True. So only getting a reaction from one person out of all these hundreds must be kind of odd to her. Mm. So she asks Roger why why do you look different? Why are you the only one who's believing what I'm saying? Normally, everyone's like, yeah, fuck on, go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lyra, yeah. Fuck on, yes. Fuck on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she's like, why aren't you miserable? And at the end of Hope, like everyone else here, all these other losers. And he's like, because, but of course, we don't get the reason until the next chapter. Yeah. So that's it. So that whole section of italics in this sort of theme since we started doing the Amber Spyglass. Did you just miss it? Nope. I just wrote at the end of my notes, as real as the best, full stop. <laughs> and I'm done. No need to read further. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Wait, stop. Just before we finish this episode, a quick notice. There is a free Head Start Materials event that you can register to join at the Hay on Y Literature Festival. So really recommend that you check that out. We'll put the information in the notes for this particular episode. It's on the 30th of May at 11am. So we'll put a link in the notes for the show of how to register for that event. Um, it's organised by Bad Wolf, the production company in behind the, the, the TV series. Uh, there will be Jane Tranter there, the exec producer, who's going to be talking about how they brought this book series to life on a, the TV screen. Uh, there will also be Daphne Keane, who plays Lyra, Amma Wilson, who plays Will, and Jack Thorne, who has been uh, one of the screenwriters and showrunners uh, for the first and second series. So some really great attendees on the panel. Uh, you can also submit questions using the hashtag AskHDM hashtag on Twitter. So yeah, see you there. Anyway, seamlessly moving back to the end of the show through the magic of editing, editing, editing. I think that brings us to the end of this episode of the Dark Material Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you're not ready to step back into your own world yet, please visit our website at thedarkmaterialpodcast.com and our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash darkmaterialpodcast. You can also hit us up on your Lodestone Resonators through Facebook at The Dark Material Podcast, Twitter at Dark Material Pod, and Instagram at The Dark Material Podcast. If you want to cut through to our world directly with questions or comments, we're also available at thedarkmaterialpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the Dark Material Podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. It helps other fans of his Dark Materials find the show. A special thanks to Jeremy Sword at Karma Roulette on Instagram and Claire Wicks at Claire underscore Wicks on Twitter for the music on the Dark Material Podcast. We'll see you next time for Chapter 6, Preemptive Absolution. And until then, don't forget to tell them stories.